This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Comic Book Click is on Patreon, guys. For as little as $0.10 cents a day or $3 a month, not only can you help keep the lights on here at Comic Book Click headquarters, but your donation gives you access to exclusive content like CBC commentaries, polls where you can choose what content we cover next, and special behind-the-scenes footage of things here at Comic Book Click. Visit Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse today and become a Patreon. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. everybody out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you can only be here for one reason and that's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comicbookclick.com and as so as always i'm never alone sir can you please introduce yourself i am dan the comic book man i hope you guys hear me loud and clear Yes, you are heard from here to the bluest of valleys. And that's apropos because we will be traveling all the way to Blue Valley because we we are getting ready to talk Stargirl Season 2 and thought that we should take the time in between films to read up a little bit about uh, good old Stargirl, good old Courtney Whitmore, or as I should call her, the Star Spangled Kid. Um, Stargirl was a series that took uh, the world kind of by surprise, a character that if you weren't really following JSA, you probably didn't even really know. Um, but what was it you think about the structure of that character of Courtney Whitmore that put her on your radar, Dan? Cause I know that you are a humongous fan of her in the show and you're oh, the one who recommended this yeah. run. I think that she is probably the greatest female teen superhero that we have. Like, all right, when you have, when you think of teenage superheroes that can really relate to the kids more, yeah, I know adults are reading it, but I mean like the kids that pick it up and it's like, that's me right now. You have guys like Peter Parker in the early stages. You have Miles Morales, you know, you have kid flashes and, and all of these, you have the young justice, you know, Damian Wayne. Yeah. But you, you never really have a young teenage angsty girl that can go through all of the same genuine emotions that a young boy would go through out there in the open for young girls to relate to until I found Stargirl and I push push it on everyone I can possibly think of because she she goes she she goes through divorce new well, she doesn't family, get divorced step parent oh she doesn't get get divorced she goes through her mother basically lose, losing a, a husband so she loses a father she gains a new father gains a new brother gains a new town yeah a whole new life she goes through you know what we've all went through snapping out cutting class uh, sneaking out of our house not listening to parents talking back but yeah. she's still very headstrong she's very smart she has a huge heart and she's very much so a hero. Yeah. That is what's beautiful here is that she is genuinely a hero and she will not cower away or back down in any sort of adversity where she, she went, she went after Solomon Grundy in an issue with all the confidence in the world. This is Solomon Grundy. Yeah. This girl's like 16 and she's like, no, we're not going to just 
that that's not the type of heroes we're gonna be. We're not just gonna back down. Also, um, you know, this she she's not in Gotham, right? She's not in like a big dark, uh, gloomy, mopey like. We, especially in the '90s, we were definitely going in a direction where everything seemed grim and dark and um, just pessimistic. I feel like Blue Valley and the JSA. It's not like Metropolis where everything is fast paced, moving and, and, you know, cars are honking traffic. It, this, like you said, it's, this is a small town community of like, what, 175 people. Well, probably more than that, but yeah, a good, a good, um, a good chunk. It's a very small town. Um, so stars and stripe, which is a series we'll be talking about, but we won't be going issue to issue more. So we'll be exploring, you know, how the character grows over the course of the run talk a little bit about her inspirations um, and then talk some differences from the comic and some of her relationships with some of the people in the actual book itself, which I think is what really makes this whole thing sing. But before we get there, let me do some uh, background on oh, this. Is, this all is where of this. it gets sad. I know we talked about it last year with Stargirl season one, but still always bringing up the nature of Courtney Whitmore's existence is just, it'll always hit me a little hard. Yeah. So, um, Stars and Stripe is an American comic book published by DC Comics, um, featuring the second star Spangled Kid and her stepfather, the original ver uh, version psychic Stripesy. It was published in July 1999 with a zero issue and ran for 15 single issues. It was written by Jeff Johns with art by Lee Motor and Dan Davis. So, um, Courtney is the stepdaughter of Pat Dugan. Am I saying that right? Or is it Duggan? I think it's Dugan. Because they All say right. Dugan in the show. Okay. Um, Dugan oh, and the main... Because I saw Jim Duggan. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, she's the main protagonist of this series, Courtney Whitmore is. Uh, she found Sylvester Pemberton's cosmic converter belt in her father's belongings and donned the costume in order to annoy him as partial revenge for marrying her mother and supposedly forcing the family to move from L.A. to Blue Valley, Nebraska. Uh, Duggan, a skilled mechanic, designed and built Stripe, an armored robot which he rides in and accompanies uh, to accompany and protect Courtney. Eventually, she joins the JSA, and after being given Starman's gravity rod by Jack Knight, she changes her identity to Stargirl. So we didn't actually get any of the Stargirl stuff in this. We're getting all the early Star Spangled Kid stuff. Um, but I, we were getting the origin. This is the origin of the character. And I feel like it's, it's a bit of a humble or origin of sorts. And it is something we rarely get. Like nowadays you rarely get, um, a brand new, brand new start to stuff. You know, they, especially, when push comes to shove you're dealing with characters like batman superman like these characters have been around since forever and now you're in a situation in which we're get there's a you know brand new start and so i feel like a lot of this these beginning issues are kind of basic or you know like they're very less dense than the stuff that we normally tackle on this show because she's just getting running you know we're just getting started with courtney and we're just trying to figure it out um, and I feel like in trying to figure it out, um, I think John's is trying to figure it out. I think we're both figuring it out as we go along, um, as far as 
who Courtney is as a character, uh, etc. But yeah, we'll, let's talk a little bit about Stripes for a second. Uh, Stripe is a fictional superhero in the DC Comics universe. Real name Pat Dugan. He first went by the nickname Stripesy. He's notable for being the only adult sidekick to a teenage hero, Sylvester Pemberton, the Star Spangled Kid. Stripesy. I still don't know how that went about. I I, I think I would have to go. I mean, she's he's doing it now. No, I mean you're you're right, but it's like how how does that happen? Because I know we get some of of Pat Dugan's backstory in this. Like he actually is from like the 1940s. Like he did exist when the JSA existed, but they fought some kind of time wizard, and they and they ended up in the 70s, and then they just lived the rest of like their life aging like humans. Like yeah, three decades. the seven soldiers of uh, victory yes, were strewn throughout the time stream, seemingly, and just dumped off. At and that points. was, uh, I think, it was um, Green Lantern, his sidekick, like uh, Flash, um, but the the Jay Garrick, Jay Garrick Flash, his yeah. sidekick. It, it was a question, not a question, Vigilante. Vigilante was there. There's a bunch of the well, the seven soldiers, like we were talking about before. You know, uh, Sir Justin's on there. Um, Oh, my man, the lowly janitor. Yeah. But, yeah, he ends up building this. You know, he was a, he was a teen sidekick. Um, and he built their car. Like, he was their mechanic. He was always known for being a good mechanic back in those JSA days. Um, like I said, together, they were the members of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and the All-Star Squadron. Stripesy himself was created by Jerry Siegel, the co-creator of Superman, and Hal Sherman, and first appeared in Action Comics number 40 in 1941. That's how old Stripesy is. He debuted in 1941. Um, but they brought him back. Jeff Johns is noted for... Um, being a huge DC Comics fan, but not only that, once he got into a position to create for DC Comics, he's known for resurrecting old um, characters, old teams, old concepts, and kind of modernizing them. And to tell you the truth, that's what some of the best writers in DC are known for. They're known for, like, the Adam Moore taking on Swamp Thing and and um, Scott, I was going to say Scott Snyder on Batman, but that's not that's not <laughs> thrown away. Scott Snyder, on, <laughs> Scott Snyder on Swamp Thing. Um, uh Tom King on Mr. Miracle, you know, like people can go ahead and create terrific runs, taking some of these characters that are usually background characters and and really doing something with them. So he takes these two, most notably creates Courtney Whitmore whole cloth. And um, yeah, he he updates it. He makes Dugan Stripesy, who's existed since 1941, her stepfather, which is so interesting. And then he she becomes the starts star spangled kid like sylvester pemberton was not long ago um and so now he is stripesy always there to protect her and now that's how basically we get stars and stripe he's not stripes he's stripes he's the man but stripe he is now i guess that's his more gritty adult oh yeah because it's a it's a it's a what's that an acronym yes it's like strategic, tactical, something, something, something. Like I can't remember what it fully is, but each letter stands for a word. Something ridiculous. Yeah, it's um, the stripe system. But and I was reading this article by um in Forbes actually about Jeff Johns and stuff like that. And it says that Johns broke into comics in nineteen ninety-nine with with the project Stars and Stripe. 
co-created with artist Lee Motor, and he reimagined a 1940s era character called the Star Spangled Kid, um, and you know, kind and stripesy. But he changes it to the contemporary teenager Courtney Whitmore. Courtney inherits one of the most powerful objects in the DCU and learns to use it alongside her stepdad. But Dad it's so Dugan. funny because she didn't even know how to use it till like issue four. Yeah, and it just shoots stars out of it. And she's like, oh my God, wait, this thing shoots? What? They also make a point to say something along the lines of like, uh, they didn't know how it would work for a woman. Like they did, they, they wasn't, it, it wasn't created for a woman. So anything that happens that seems weird is probably because it's getting used to Courtney. Uh, which was an interesting all you got thing. in the beginning of it was that it gave her flight yeah that's all she was able to do when she put the cosmic belt on was she flew yeah um but she was also a gymnast so that's what's that is also what's great the character um creating like when you create a character you have to give them these traits these background things that uh, go into what they're what they become as a hero you know it's Chekhov's gun there's no reason to bring up all of Courtney's trophies for gymnast and say she was an amazing gymnast in her old school. Why not go out for cheerleading? And that's why I love in Stargirl season one, where the first people that approach her, not only is it Shiv, but these girls approach her and they're like, hey, you know, we heard about your gymnast stuff in your old high school. Hey, you should go out for a cheerleading. And she uses that ability for for gym to fight. So did you, you season one where she trains with the staff you're like oh she's using it like the little horse legs or whatever it's called they at one point mention that um she kickboxes you know that she had done kickboxing um and so she knows how to handle her own before she gets any powers when push comes to shove and she has to handle her own later on it's not like this stuff came out of nowhere she actually uses some kickboxing on a bully and so. it's also cool because stuff like that can exist a girl like that can exist in the real world a girl can be a gymnast and a ballerina or a cheerleader and you know take self-defense classes like krav maga and stuff and they can go out put on a, on a mask and go fight crime if they wanted to yeah i uh, love seeing stuff like that like vigil uh non-superpowered superheroes that you can actually put yourself into because all it does is take 150 dollars a month for Krav Maga class, and you could be, become Catwoman. Yeah, I mean, if you work hard enough, I guess, right? What is, it that the, what is it, a thousand hours or something? A thousand hours of uh, practice makes you a master at something? I think I heard that somewhere. But yeah, Bruce Lee said, I don't fear the man that practices a thousand kicks. I fear the man that practices one kick a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, practice makes perfect. And two things: one, Jeff Johns is noted for um, making, like I said, re resurrecting some of these old concepts, some of these old characters. So this was right up his alley to bring back the Star Spangled Kid. But also something that was, you know, right up his alley was, you know, unfortunately his sister actually passed away in a uh, crash in 1996, the TWA 800 crash. And he wanted to memorialize her by um, sharing what he believes was her spark, her energy, her infectious attitude, um, and put it on the page and create this character, whole cloth, Courtney Whitmore. Um, and it, his sister's name is Courtney, right? It doesn't get any closer than that. Um, according to Johns, 
aspects of Courtney inspired Stargirl. She was the youngest. She had a can-do, confident attitude, sometimes overconfident. Uh, she would get into trouble just like any kid, but she was driven and tried to do the right thing. She had a great, great sense of how she treated people and looked out for the underdog. It's, um, and if both Courtney Whitmore from the Stars and Stripes 15 issues and the TV show that's currently on CW is who Jeff John's sister was, and the world truly lost an actual superhero. And I hope Jeff Johns will one day hear a podcast like this and hear that I'm saying it. The world really lost a superhero if Courtney Johns was truly how she's portrayed in the comics. Um, and it's sad. Courtney herself, you know, Stargirl, um, you got to imagine Jeff Johns works very closely with. Um, her in general and on the show like the the casting all that kind of stuff he's very close to that you got to think that he's checking all the boxes and it, he had to have picked an actress i'm surprised he's not showrunner he's close isn't he i'm pr i thought he was showrunner honestly i know it says i know he gets creator credits and that's the whole problem with with tv shows it's harder to tell who's the show like i know the creator has a lot of creative uh, creative control but a showrunner is like a director in a sense. Right. But still, okay. yeah, he. I would hope that he works, you know, really close. I mean, but I'm saying like when show. with that character being who she is, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, vetted several different actresses, um, you know, and, and, oh, and Breck Basinger is like Breck Basinger is she's indefinitely the top 10 of comic book portrayal debuts, like someone that just comes out of nowhere portrays this character and just becomes them oh yeah Breck Basinger is is amazing as Courtney Whitmore so he's listed as the creator of the series and he's also listed as an executive producer so he definitely has most of the creative control right right and you know um another thing we want to say is that this was his first series and the the combination of her being a new character and this being his first series this feels like a young comic like it feels there's a lack of depth in here, but if you want to get an entry point in this, if this was intended for girls Courtney's age to get into, this is perfect, I, I think. But we've covered a lot of deep, dense between the doomsday clock, yeah. the crises, the, you know, um, all, all of the, the deep and sometimes even depressing material that we cover on here. This was a pretty light read. I, it was enjoyable to me. Um, but let me know what you think. It gave me vibes of a very popular television show at the time let me know if you think this influenced uh the comic at all uh but 100 it's it was kind of like i i don't know if you've ever seen it but joan of arcadia the main character joan for the show joan of arcadia was very much like that very much like um facts of life the 90s had these daytime television or like prime time uh family dramas where the main character was the sister and even yeah. disney channel pulled that a lot like wizards of waverly plays good luck charlie like there was a very much so uh theme like a trend of the sister of the family and she doesn't have to be the oldest she could even be the middle or the first eldest of the girls yeah but but at the end of the day the sister is usually the character's POV that you're following. There's movie, there's Disney Channel movies like True Confessions that followed the POV of the sister. Like 
that's very much so a, 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 a thing for TV. I don't like to use the word tropes and cliches. When I want, right. when I feel like it deserves respect for those kinds of things, I call them themes. So it's very much a theme to get the sister of the family, whether it's two siblings or five siblings, the sister always has this main character status. I was going to go a little bit more mainstream and say Buffy. Perfect. I feel like the blonde in high school where the high the residents of the high school might be up to nefarious purposes and she befriends some classmates to help her in her, you know, uh, do goodery. I feel like there's a lot of uh, influence there. And, and Joss Whedon did go on to, you know, become a big comic book movie person. So um, there's, there's all the trends there. And the thing is, I feel like there isn't, like you just said, there wasn't many people writing for um, young female characters back in the day, you know? And that that gives a space for this character that I don't feel like um, a lot of people were looking for. So, like, let, I guess we, should, we can just get started talking about this comic. I just wanted to um do that homework stuff up front but in reading the comic uh I, one of the things that i found very different than the show is to me courtney is way more antagonistic to pat um she she has, she harbors way more anger towards pat for marrying her mom for moving them down there even when she finds out about stripesy she thinks it's lame talk to me about your feelings with that Well, it's it's very much it's realistic, and I I I don't want to say unrealistic. I guess it's a little exaggerated, but in the comic, of, yes, a lot of Courtney's uh, resiliency and standoffish towards Pat is very much reminds me of a lot of how my sister was with my stepfather that I have now that's been married to my mom for like twelve years. So you know, like I've seen it before. I've seen my sister not take to divorce of the parents very well, but you're right. She is a lot more um, antagonistic towards Pat than in the show. Like, I, I guess because in the show, you know, we have, we, we have time, but don't have time for it. Like with a comic, you have 14 issues, but a, a standard comic is what 32 pages. So even if you go six issues, you still have eight left to not be antagonistic anymore, finally be a family. And then like you can do it for the whole run basically. And then the last four issues, she, she reluctantly decides I rather be your daughter. Like we had for star girl, we had to have that as a penultimate arc. Well, in star girl, you're also introducing Dr. Midnight, um, our man, uh, but the, the, JSA and the ISA. I think I'm getting that right. JSA. And and they, they were kind of doing that with the comic where you know, but with the comic, you, you were you were getting issues with the Marvel family with the young justice. Like, you know, you yeah. have you had to have Shiv showdowns, you had to have what you would call filler issues where she's facing off against like uh, some rainbow stripe people, like you know. Yeah, it's a lot more different than the, the, the way I guess with same thing, how uh, adapting a novel is, it's a lot more different 
when you have to like have sometimes for something and sometimes for other things. Well, I think that we missed a majority of Courtney's JSA work. There was actually a comic running concurrently called the JSA. Um, this is almost a spinoff of that, giving us her. But that's why they would give this to John. Do you get what I'm saying? Like the JSA oh, was yeah, the yeah. book. This was the spinoff book dealing with just his character. Um, and so even towards the end of this run, they kind of direct this to the JSA book, like issue 11 or whatever. Yeah, because I think in like 2000 or like 2001-ish, you get all-star JSA. Yeah. And by that point, Star Spangled Kid becomes Star Girl. Yes. That's yep. where she gets the cosmic staff and all that. Right. So where we're at in the series, she has not, not the cosmic staff, but she has the cosmic belt uh the cosmic converter belt i believe they call it uh you know yeah the, co the convert i i don't i don't i don't know why converter belt but sure yeah. the cosmic converter belt cosmic converter belt um so yeah i i i dig her in this i was wondering i guess it's because i already know pat who pat is and the kind of man that pat is that when I when she was being mean to him, I was kind of not digging her in those oh, moments. Oh, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurt, it, right? Yeah, because I'm like, he's literally, he's literally not doing anything. But this was written in the 90s, Dan. This was written in the 90s. And you know what was going on in the 90s. We talk about this all the time. Divorced dads in the 90s. The stepdad is the evil one of all the time. You know, in yep. Mrs. Doubtfire, yep, yep, yep. in Liar Liar, in The Santa Claus, in Jingle All the Way, you name it. Well, Jingle May, he was married. He was just a bad father. Oh no, 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 no. He, oh no, yeah. I was about to, I was about to say, uh, what's his face was pushing up on the wife with, with like that rest was a little peace. bit awkward, right? Well, yes, yeah, rest, rest uh, in peace. Phil Hartman, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, like that was the big trope. It was like, oh, the guy that's trying to replace your dad, the guy that broke up your family. He's the guy that you should put all your and um animosity onto. And the now, funniest part is when you re when you grow up and rewatch these movies and shows you realize the mom met that guy like at least six months after the divorce like like especially with like liar liar you know fletcher and the mom were divorced like three years and she was only dating carrie elways like a yeah. year yep but he so, can't like, do the call was, as good so you know he's not worth it that's what it comes uh, down to he didn't do the call he did the hook there oh, comes the hook poor terrible. guy um, no, yeah, it, it, like this was my second time reading it because I read this run the first time when with, uh, when Star Girl Season One came out. When Star Girl Season One came out, I was like, "Yo, I have to read this. I have to see what this is." So yeah, it kind of hurts, right? Where she's just like mumbling under her breath about how she hates this family and what about my dad? And the dude just comes in like, "Oh, tuna casserole, my favorite." And she's you like, know, I'm not I hope you girls you. are doing well. And she's like, "Yeah, stop screwing my yeah, mom." He comes in like, "How's my favorite girls?" <laughs> and she's like, "You're not my dad." Like, whoa. But what? How did you feel about the locket that had the dad's face that she uh, wears it here? So, I think that the last issue in this might be my favorite issue. That for some reason, this is gonna sound very weird. For some reason, that issue hit me harder than the episode did with the same subject matter. I don't know what it is. I think it's because of her constantly saying, like, he's not my dad, he's not my dad, he's not my dad. I think that the cool, and maybe it's tropey because they don't do it in the show, but the idea that uh, 
Pat's son Mike comes home and thinks that he is obviously going to be the next person to take on the mantle because he's the actual son of Pat. And Pat's like, no, I pick Courtney. Courtney is the one I want to have this role. And, you know, when she slips up and calls him dad in the car, like my heart. <laughs> like I, I, and she like tries to play because it, it was a moment of vulnerability. It was a moment where it, she wasn't thinking. It was just it was it was it wasn't even instinct. It was just a burp. It was a fart. It was a sneeze. Yeah, she was she was so lost in the moment that she you know her heart, her conscience knew. Yeah, that's my dad. And you know they wrote. Like Jeff Johns is going to go on to help, you know, executive produce some DC properties later on when when it comes to stuff. But I feel like they wrote um, they wrote the father, the real dad, Sam, whatever, Huston or whatever. Like they wrote him perfectly to be this sleazeball. Like everything he says, you just it just sounds like a lie. Like I had this necklace and I want the complete set because my brother's in trouble and yada, yada, yada. And then the mom comes out. He's like, he doesn't have a brother, honey. <laughs> He's just, he's just lying. Like he's just doing what he does, you know, and she starts to get emotional about it and Pat steps up. But this happens in the show as well, where the father comes, breaks her heart and Pat has to like step up and be like, yo, bro, kick rocks. Like we got it over here. And this is the man that, or the vision of the man or the memory of the man that she's defending throughout this series up until this point, right? Like this is the legacy of the person that she's trying to defend her dad. And here he is, and he's a he's a shitbag. Um, no, I, yeah, yeah, you're right on that. Like, it, and it, in both instances, whether it's the comic or the show, the way Pat just always stands up for Courtney, or just it's like it's like you know that whole I I don't want you going out to a party drinking, but if you're gonna do underage drinking, at least do it with me. Type of mentality. I've had cousins that have done it. I've had uncles to do it. My dad has done it. They've uh, it's just one of those I don't want you being with with these with other stupid kids your age and you get hurt. At least here, if you want to yeah. experiment, I can supervise you and make sure you're safe. I believed in the Pat and Courtney relationship more than I believed in anything in Titans season 3. Like anything in Titans season 3. Um which goes to show, you know, like Jeff Johns would go on to write the Teen Titans in 2003. You know, that's also an interesting note there. I think he's might be the one who created Superboy. If he, if he but, created um, the clone, God, that's just not even fair. I love Khan. Honestly, of anybody that has ever been a Superman or super any of that kind of classification, Connor is actually my favorite. I don't vocalize it a lot. But Connor Kent is that, that that to me Connor to, Connor Kent to me is like how Red Hood is to you. I fucking love me some Connor. I know I I fell in love with Connor Kent in season one of or season two of Young Justice. I can't remember which season it was, but I think because both season one and two go under together for me as just one giant series. Because I watched them, I binged it in like a day, so. Cartoon Superboy with fucking the Crypto Dog with Crypto, especially since I actually grew up watching Crypto the Super Dog. There was a show on Cartoon Network based on it was legit. He was the son. He was the dog of Superman that 
Superman gave him up, gave him up for adoption because he needed to be able to do his own thing. And this dude just has his own family with his own little boy that he protects. It was like Lassie for 2003 kids. Yeah, so it turns out that Connor, Superboy, the one with the leather jacket, the glasses, and all that kind of stuff, he was created by somebody else. But he gets reimagined as the clone hybrid of Superman and Lex Luthor in Jeff Johns' run. You understand? Jeff Johns so, is the man. So he, you know, Jeff Johns has his fingers in deep by 2003. He would go on to co-write a Doomsday Clock. You understand? Know my man likes history. He goes on to resurrect the Watchmen universe and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was actually gonna make a joke. Sorry to cut you. I meant to make this earlier, but Jeff Johns kind of reminds me of like a of a JJ Abrams of a sense. Where he yeah. just loves nostalgia so much that he's like, let me just bring back everything you love, but here's it for a modern audience. And they'll still go back and watch or read what was originally out, but this will help them digest it easier right and one of the biggest things that this man has always tried to get off the ground for as long as i've been reading him is the jsa the justice society of america the actual team that predates the justice league by quite some time um and it is considered the first superhero team in comics so you know he's always going back to that well of those first run of heroes um and dc has made a point of trying to erase these people whole cloth from history in the new 52 they didn't exist at all or if they did i think they existed on another earth entirely well if that's his goal if his goal is to literally bring the the, the superhero team that he loves to a fresher newer modern day audience he succeeded with Stargirl season one, which snowballed into me reading Stars and Stripes, which got me into wanting to know more about the JSA. Like, I actually do like and love and respect the JSA and all of those team members always, like, uh, interest me more and more to jump into a rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, Dr. Occult. Dr. Occult is basically Constantine. Yeah. But it's not Constantine, but he's Constantine. Well, some of these guys predate those guys, you know, like, and because no one wanted to just modernize those guys, the, you got the new snappy, look at, look at Barry Allen, look at Jay Garrick, right? Jay Garrick was yep. the Flash for a very long time, and he got his powers through a hard water experiment, which is very weird, but that, you know, Barry Allen was a Jay Garrick comic fan. That's what made him take on the mantle of the Flash. Um, same thing with the Green Lanterns. You know, uh, the the Silver Age of DC Comics would go on to recreate the yeah, Flash, the Green Lantern. Look how that. Look how the the original. What was this? Uh, Alan Warwick or whatever. Scott. 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 Whatever is it? Alan Scott. Yeah. Alan, Alan Scott. Scott. He he had a cape. His suit was red. He was. He the used Green to. He suit. used to not be able to. His ring used to not be able to affect wood. That was that's one of the, that's true. one of the that was one of the OG weaknesses of that character. Was just wood, you know. It like it's just it's just of a bygone era. But again, instead of just making some tweaks and modernizing it, they just throw them out whole cloth and come up with new with new characters. Except for Batman and Superman, who have basically stood the, the test of time. Uh, Wonder Woman, etc. The Aquaman of the world. But and that's why more people need to just like more people need to get into Justice League Unlimited TV show. Because there's literally an episode of Justice League Unlimited show that has every single non-superpowered hero in DC's entire catalog in one episode. 
Yeah. Literally, every, any, any superhero that you can think of with not one superpower was in the same episode. <laughs> Vigilante, mm-hmm. uh, Sir Justin, all of them. Um, what, anything else you want to say about Courtney and Pat before we move on to the other characters in this story? Um, I kind of like that they stood away from the braces theme for Stargirl. Yeah, okay, yeah. They she right. randomly has braces in this for a bit, and it's here. a point of contention. Maybe it was a thing where they were like, okay, she's a gorgeous, cheerleading, blonde, funny, intelligent, badass. Right, right. I think maybe they, they had to tick her down a couple of notches, but it's not a big deal at all. It doesn't stop anyone from being attracted to her or for her being, you know, um it, she's just not popular because of uh Cindy Berman. Good old Sydney night? Berman. Yep, Cindy Berman. Shit. Cindy Berman, uh, who we'll talk about in a second here. I like that. Um, I like the Sir Justin thing a bit more in the co- in the show. I feel oh, like it 100%. was it was breadcrumbed better in the show. Um, uh, that he was up to something. Um, in the like I said, I like for like five issues, she's just like stripesy, stripesy, and she no, does I that in the show a little bit. Tin Man said, "Let's yeah. go, Tin Man." She does that in the show as well, right? She's like, uh, you know, and there's a lot of like, I'm going to, there's like five instances of, I'm going to tell mom, wait till mom finds out that you've been whatever. But they're, the cool thing is they're keeping each other's lie. They have to maintain the same lie because they're both saving the wor- world and or the earth or even just Blue Valley, which is their earth and world. Um, but Which is why I cannot wait to talk about season two because the where season two goes from season one is just chef's kiss beautiful storytelling because it's like yes this is how you progress stories and characters and move ahead where it doesn't seem like you're in the same place as before yeah yeah and that that it that takes a lot it takes a lot to be able to move the ball move the like get it to where it's got to go and that's why i feel like they gave us a lot of um softballs in terms of villains early on in this we get uh that paintball guy i probably should remember his name but he's very much not important we get the principal who is a robot you know um the main plot of this is that people are being uh, kidnapped abducted by these weird reptilian people we don't really understand what's going on but we find out that the dragon king has his set his eyes set on blue valley more likely the world and he's a person that has done battle with some of the members of the JSA in the past, but he's kind of enlisted his daughter as Shiv to kind of be the new hot uh, commodity out here. So I think that it is important to, like I said, not only pay homage to tradition, but be able to extend and create new things whole cloth. Because even if you were a fan of, let's say, the Dragon King, now we know Shiv, now we know his daughter. And um, let's talk about Shiv for a second. Let's talk about old Cindy for a bit. You know, she is modeled, I was going to say she's modeled as a bit of a mean girl, but I think she predates Mean Girls. Uh, Not Mean Girls the concept, but Mean Girls the show. And, um, you know, she's just a very popular girl at first, who's kind of a dick towards Courtney and eventually turns out to be um, somebody way more dangerous, the daughter of the Dragon King. And very much like like we were talking about before with Gamora and Nebula, like she is, the villain is always supposed to be like the hero's shadow, right? Like a, like the complete opposite. 
And I feel like they kind of nailed that with this in the sense that Pat yeah, would like love characters, I think they're called. Say again? I think they're called like foil characters. Um yeah, foils, shadows, um, you know. But the idea is that like Pat would do absolutely anything for Courtney. You know, if Courtney decided she didn't want to uh, you know, fight crime anymore he'd be down for that like he really does love this family and he's trying his best to ingratiate himself to it meanwhile the dragon king don't give a damn about shiv there's moments she's mutilated her body to get to a point of approval with him and he does doesn't give a damn there's been various moments where she's been trying to have like this heart to heart with him he's like i gotta go get out of here i gotta go do some shit that's more important than this and it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking. There's a moment where she's having a conversation with Stargirl, right? Or uh, the Star Spangled Kid in Courtney Whitmore. And um, she, he's like, she's like, my my dad loves me now. You know, like, she's just like trying to throw it in Courtney's face. And like, now she has all these cybernetic implants. Now that she's half robot, she's closer to getting her dad's full love and attention. And how tragic is that? Like, how sad, how much of an opposite side of the coin is that? I kind of like how it was done in the show more. I'm not going to lie. Because I felt in the show, it was a very much a nebula thing where everything she was doing was to her father's approval. But then it's like, all right, if I'm not going to get your approval, I'm just going to kill you because I have no other. But I don't feel like they took that to the natural last thing of it all. Right. Because. No, there's still more. There's that's why I I don't know if you've got because I know we're covering season two next week, so I don't know how far you've gotten into season two yet. Don't tell me, but I want her to be kind of sort of robotic. I want to see a forearm pop open. I want to see, yeah, that's always been my things like that. Like, why if a character is gonna have like these attachments in the comic, why make them human and just try to explain it funnily? Like, I like Scott Pilgrim, the, the drummer, had a robot arm in scott pilgrim but in the movie she just stands yeah. in the background like give me some I, yeah I, I feel like the the mutilation of one's daughter really colors the dragon king in a certain kind of way and if we want to understand how much how or how little i guess you would say that she actually naturally cared about that character i feel like oh you know his daughter i feel like you kind of got to get to those levels of abuse i mean he locked her up I think he does that in both the comic and the show. He locks her up for her insolence. Yeah, but it's because she steals the suit and tries to attack Courtney just to get his approval. And she, and since she failed, he's like, all right, so you stole from me yeah. and you failed. You in the comic, she jail. just fails, right? She goes and tries to... You no, know, she always had the suit. Yeah, she was yeah. always... Shit. Yeah. But... Here in the show, it's, she wasn't worthy enough to yeah. wear that suit yeah. yet. But um, this Dragon King, he's just, he's been uh, kidnapping people and using his mind control ray to make them acolytes of his cause. His eventual plan is to get all the kids of the world to kill their parents. Yeah, that was, that's what, that was, was bugging me. I was like, yo, my God, they, not only do they look like little gremlin ninjas, but he's kidnapping yeah. kids. Doing Pennywise In the shit. show the idea behind what the isa is doing because they have a similar satellite right they are trying to brainwash everybody so everyone's nice and everyone's on the same level and everyone so like there's moments in the speech where you're like it was a lot more weirder than that like it, it in a sense that's what what it like pulled the rug before they pulled the rug you thought what they were gonna do was 
take away crime and take away racism and bigotry. But Icicle's plan that even the ISA didn't know was he was going to make everybody in the world see his viewpoint. Yeah. Think like him. Yeah. So whatever he feels, that's what they like, not like feel, I feel like, but like how, like if they're all, tr- if he's a Trump supporter, he brainwashes the entire world. Yeah. Trump there's supporters. moments um, where in the show, you're like, man, maybe this isn't that bad of an idea because it's like everyone on the same page, no world hunger. Like they've, they've laid out a bunch of actual factual benefits to doing this. So you're kind of sitting there, you're kind of trying to hear them out. But in the comic, it's like, no, we just want kids to kill their parents. And once they're all dead, we'll restart the world <laughs> with the younger generation all under my control. Um, b- but what that does is give us a fight between stars and stripes, between stripe C, stripe uh pat dugan and courtney whitmore's uh star spangled kid um which courtney kind of breaks out of the spell with just pure love valor bravery kind of stuff you know the good love always wins kind of kind of messes there which they did in the show too when they brainwash they they brainwashed pat in the show yeah so they basically what they how they did it was when gambler hit the button on the satellite Pat gets brainwashed and they have this little scene of Pat versus Courtney in that little hallway area. And then Courtney just talks him out of like, you know, it's me. It's, you know, I'm your daughter. You love me. And the spell breaks. So they definitely do the same kind of like star girl. Season one was very much, I wouldn't say panel for panel type shot, but minus a couple of differences, they really stuck with the main heart of what Johns was trying to get across. They couldn't do the, well, they obviously couldn't do the Marvel family of it all. You know, at one point the Captain Marvel family shows up. Uh, what's very interesting is he's still Captain Marvel. Uh, Shazam is still Captain Marvel to my knowledge. Yeah, he says, he says Captain Marvel instead of Shazam. That's that kind of, well, they say Shazam. Freddie Freeman has to say Captain Marvel, but Oh, it's that's Freddie that has to say Captain Marvel. Yeah, but that's that also his Freddy. name. Kid, oh, Captain Marvel Junior, or something like that. And so he can't say his name because he might transform, which is the actual issue with Shazam now. Shazam right now in twenty twenty one cannot introduce himself because if he does, he'll be saying the word that transforms him. Whereas back in the day, he would say Shazam because his name was Captain Marvel, so it didn't matter. And you have to. Damn. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. Shazam, Shazam, Shazam. Because my name is Captain Marvel. It doesn't matter. For Greek gods? Yeah. Isn't it like, is it, what was it like Solomon, um, Hermes? Achilles, I think. Or Artemis, or Art, something. But we get, they get the point. But yeah, Atlas, that's Apollo, I forget. But yeah, you know, so we're not doing, we can't do them. Um, It was cool to see them in this. You know, it was cool to see them helping out and stuff like that in this. Uh. But I would have liked the Titans, but I guess not these Titans, right? You couldn't bring these Titans as we know them on HBO Max to the Star Girls show, right? What do you think? No, not, not. And I actually, I like. That's the thing is the way the comic and the show run. I think they both run perfectly of what the medium is. Like with with comics, you can get away with Courtney meeting the Shazam family and meeting the young justice and all of that, and then still have her character arc of, I'm a girl in this new town and I have a new family. With the show, I love that they can build up the JSA, the new JSA. Yeah. 
while still going through the, I want to know my dad, Pat Dugan, isn't my dad. Like you still get the, the Whitmore family drama and Stargirl being this new superhero angle on both ends and the way they both do it makes sense for both TV and comics. Cause I, like you said, I don't think I can see Courtney, an episode of Courtney where they get, you know, uh, what's his face, Zachary Levi and Adam Brody. And But I feel like in a better world, the Titans should fit in right with Stargirl, but I don't want to see any yeah, of the Titans don't there. even fit in with Titans. That's what I'm saying, who would you want to see hang out in Blue Valley? That's not depressing or a murderer or... <laughs> okay, if I had to be truly, truly honest, I think I would like to see um, Connor and Garth, you know, like their car break down on their way to doing like they they were going to a concert together or, or a movie premiere and their car breaks down in Blue Valley and they spend an episode there. Like I, those two would probably be the only two that could wholesome, could be wholesome for 45 minutes. What'd you think about that alien plot in this where the Teen Titans are helping uh, the Star Spangled Kid and Stripe tackle these aliens with this ray gun that turns everyone into aliens? Felt pretty Saturday morning cartoonish, right? Like for simple. Enjoyable. Oh no, yeah, especially the way the, especially the way the artwork was going. Yeah. Like you can de- you can definitely see this in a car like the second people start turning into aliens, like it would do a fade to black and a score like dun and commercial. Yeah. Comes back from commercial the same exact scene before the fade to black, and then you get the resolution of it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that Pat like cuts off Courtney before she could accept the invitation to the Teen Titans. He's like, nope, yep. you're not. And she's like, Pat, I was going to tell them that whenever they needed help, they could hit me up or whatever. She got very upset. Then there was a point where she wasn't talking to Pat at all. She's like, I'm not talking to Pat. I'll talk to Stripe if I need him. But I don't, I don't want nothing to do with Pat. Yep. Yep. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a teenager for you. No, especially uh, since this was like nine, 1998. So this was like prime teenage angst rebellion. Yeah. That would, all has some sort of moral of the story lesson at the end of every episode. I would say that the biggest right inclusion is the uh, JSA and ISA, the new JSA, the new ISA in um, Stargirl season one. And I'm assuming it will continue on in season two. I felt like when I went back and read that, that's what this was missing. But they were building those blocks, you know. Um, I think it's very interesting that this stood as it could on the strength solely of this brand new character, Courtney and her and her uh, stepdad and their relationship. It, it says a lot that they were able to have their own run um, without all the supporting cast that we get in the show. You know, the show might have been too thin if they just did it exactly like the comic. What do you no, think? No, no, 100%. Because it's, it's all right. So think of it at, like I can, I that's why I was very scared when this show began got cw because when it was on the dc universe this was a very self-contained grounded first season where i felt like if this was going to be a cw show from the jump every episode is going to be a new character that was in a comic book that is part of courtney's lore the same way they did it with arrow and with flash where i love season one of arrow but every episode was a brand new villain well not brand new villain but a new villain that i remember from a comic book that you know has nothing to do with arrow like they i think they had a arrow went against the the royal flush gang in a bank robbery yeah they had dead shot they slide people in yeah 
I yeah, mean, were, Arrow like, is leaning on Batman, <laughs> right? That's what. Yeah. That's what that show was doing. You know, um, it takes a lot of balls to to do the the show that they're doing because they don't have no humongous legacy characters. If anything, the show's job is to educate you on characters you don't know, which is way harder than I, I would say it is for Titans. Which is why I love Doom Patrol so much, right? Um, yes. I have a very, someone very close to me who's watching it currently at the moment, and every time they bring something up, I'm like, "That was in the comics." Like, they, they, you know, they didn't just make up that crazy concept. You know, totally in the comics. That was. Oh, that was oh, totally oh yeah. Uh, what what's it called? Uh, Animal Vit- Vegetable Mineral Man. That's not just some. Yeah. That's actual. Or the person with the the, the Velociraptor on their shoulder. That's yeah. That's comics right there. A hundred percent. So like. I, I dig that they are they've closed the door for everything else. You know, we're not gonna see Batman in this. We're not gonna see any Superman family in this. You know, we're just gonna stick to the the JSA and the ISA, seemingly properties no one wants to touch because they are too old fashioned. But just like I was talking about the the mirror of Shiv and Courtney, Shiv is this now half cybernetic killing machine. Courtney, majority of her power relies in her heart and her resolve. The things that make her her are real and have always existed, whereas the things that make Shiv Shiv were implanted and uh, customized, you know, Um, which gives Courtney, I feel like, the advantage because she really is her. She's Courtney. She's Stargirl. She's the Star Spangled Kid through and through, where Shiv is uh, an attack dog almost for her with her dad. And that's what that's what I love about the, the angle of the cosmic staff in the show. It's. Yes, the cosmic staff is its own conscious being, but it also runs with Courtney's emotions. Yes. If Courtney if Courtney is sad, like the staff won't work. Right. The staff will be sad itself. Like their their emotions are in tune. What'd you think about think Mike in this? What's very telling about a hero? What'd you think about Mike in this? Uh th- this is this is where I know where season two is gonna go on for because Mike was, oh, I don't feel like Mike ever wanted the role in the show. I know he argues about like, that's my dad on occasion, but I don't ever feel like he was like, you know, he comes like he becomes a villain. I can't remember if if it's here or when, but I know. I feel like the comic looks like it's setting up for him to be a villain or for Pat to step down and for him to be stripesy or stripe. I'm trying I don't remember how far my research went, but if I'm not mistaken, I think Mike Dugan becomes a villain for a bit. Like he, he 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 goes on the edge of both. Like I'm villain and hero. So it's like I that's and that's exactly where like season two is gonna. I'm I'm sure it's gonna go. But I do like the character Mike in the show a lot more. Maybe because the, the actor is very like. He's just a funny actor. The kid is just funny, especially with season one. I that's what we could talk about here. But I'm looking through his thing. I'm looking through the DC database. He doesn't become anything. Seemingly, he's just a nothing. He's just a nobody. That's just even a nobody. An overly charming son of Pat. <laughs> you're more than a. You're more than the overly charming son of Pat. Well, he is overly charming. No, I will. I will say, but uh, the only reason why I will say that he's overly charming is because the actor that plays him in the show is. They literally, kid- they literally break the cosmic belt, playing tug of war with it. I thought that was pretty funny. Like, I and want then, it. No, I want yeah. And then I thought it was funny that Pat's like, oh, good thing I have a backup just in my locker just in case. 
Here, Little try this cat. out. And then she just paints it red. It was a gold one. She just paints it red, and it is, you know, she's good to go. Is so it mirrored? Is he drawn with like a smile on his face every time he's pat and not in the in the suit? Yeah. Like when he's just pat walking in the house, like he's just he's always drawn with a smile on his face, giant biceps, and a tight freaking button down. That OG Star Spangled Kid outfit is atrocious. Oh, is okay. atrocious. Just oh, like a it, blue it, leotard with stars all over it. It, <laughs> it, it, it. it is an eyesore. I actually, but also the stripesy outfit is not much better because it's just the Where's Waldo sweater over blue jeans. Yeah. It's just Where's Waldo. So not both, great. both those designs definitely needed an upgrade. And I'm glad Courtney got an upgrade. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And she, we, we go through this whole series without her having the cosmic rod. Um, she just has yeah, the, she the belt. Get it till years later. Yeah. She just has the belt, which do whatever it wants. <laughs> they shoot stars, George. It's but they, it's also electrical. She uses it to short circuit stripe and she uses it on Shiv at one point when they're in the pool. They get knocked into a pool. She uses the, the stars and the electric Shiv and knock her out of the it. thing. Uh, so th that you want to talk about loosely defined powers, that that's that what that is right there. Um, they seemingly tease the start of the ISA at the end of this with Johnny Sorrow, the guy with the red mask. Who tells Shiv, like, hey, you know, uh, it's an injustice what's going on around here. <laughs> wink, wink. So I think they are starting the Injustice Society, you know, after this run of comics. No, and yeah, that's what, that's what they really do here. It's like you don't really get everything that you're going to get later in Stargirl's Lords. This is just let's introduce you to this character and see how it plays out. Here, let's see what would happen if this character intro introduces herself to the Teen Titans. Let's see how this would go. Yeah. And that's how it went. Like, you know, they, they were trying, they were very much trying to see if people would buy this character. And I, and I think enough people bought the character because she's still existing now. 20 years later, she has her own show. Yeah. Yeah. And I, she's been dropped around. Like, I think you said Justice League Unlimited. She makes an appearance in Legends of Tomorrow, even though she's a full grown woman. Um, I, I chalked this up to the '90s. I think some of those, some of the her anatomy in some of those covers is a bit much for a high school girl. A little much. Just a little much. I I figure I'd say I know you wouldn't be the one, you know, to to protest, but I was like sitting there like, hmm, hmm. I like that Breck Bassinger. Well, I, said I said I said it's in season one. It's like I don't I don't know how I can look at this. Because I know Breck Basinger is like 22, but yeah. Courtney Whitmore is supposed to be 16. So how do I, how am I supposed to feel that I'm looking at a 16-year-old character in a two-piece leotard? Like, and she's drawn very full-figured. She looks like a grown woman in the comic. She's like a grown-ass woman. Breck Basinger, who I think is a little bit older than Courtney's supposed to be, she still kind of looks like a teenage girl. Which I think ah, helps. She was also in season nine and ten of Smallville. Oh, that's interesting. She was played by Britt Irving. This version is a member of the Justice Society in the two-hour tele in the two-hour television movie Absolute Justice. After her mentor Sylvester Pemberton is killed by Icicle Two, Stargirl joins forces with Hawkman and Doctor Fate to fight Icicle Two. There was two variations in the Arrowverse. 
She appears in season two of Legends of Tomorrow, portrayed by Sarah Gray. Yeah, so the character has been, you know, the characters existed for about a little bit over 20 years. And they found a way recently, um, probably in the last 15, to constantly try to put her in places. So at least you, you recognize the staff, you recognize the outfit a bit. Um, but I really like Brex Stargirl. I really think that that has some legs. She's and even a playable character in Lego Batman 3, voiced by Tara Strong. Ah, Tara Strong. I love Tara Strong. And she appears, appears as a playable character in Infinite Crisis. Infinite which is, I think, an, an M, uh, MMRPG game or whatever for computer. But no, Breck, Breck Basinger brings the perfect level of every part that makes Courtney Whitmore Courtney Whitmore. She brings the standoffish, the, the angst, but she also brings the heart and the love. She's very bubbly and smiley. The way she's like, I'm in the ISA. The cosmic staff chose me. Like she just, it's perfect. She also feels and sounds like a child. Like whenever, whenever, like she does get overwhelmed at points. She does get overwhelmed by the events that's happening by school, by life. And it, it comes out. It feels natural. You know, and I think that's the other thing that reminded me of Buffy is that, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar was probably, what, 25 when she was doing that show when she was in high school. You know, so I'm getting I'm getting those vibes because it's like a much older looking person playing high school. Yeah, but that's what the beauty of that. What I loved about season one of Stargirl is, is besides freaking Rick Tyler, they all looked like teenagers. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yolanda he looks like a 17 year old girl um angelica washington actually looks like a 18 year old girl breck breck basinger looked 15 16 right she's like 22 i, I think or 21. To, yeah they were born in like night like 98 99 like I you know i think like, yolanda might be the oldest probably i think even rex tyler is only like 20 but the thing is, they the the main the girls alone looked like actual high schoolers. Shiv looked like the high schooler. All the ISA's kids, the violins kid and the shades kid or whatever, not shade. Uh, magic man dude. Oh yeah. Okay. So Wildcat is twenty nine years old. Oh my god. What? <laughs> I'm telling you, not, bro. He does not look twenty nine. I'm telling you, it. They. I'm not even. Nine. Jesus. Uh uh Stargirl is twenty-two. There you go. So you know, there, there's that. Uh I'm trying to find out who's Cindy Berman. A wildcat outfit. She's older than me. It, um did did you miss these guys in that first run of the comic? Did you miss some of this? I, yes, I, I honestly I think Courtney needs that group of people after seeing the show i will i will have to go back and i will go back back in a time machine if i have to courtney needs those people i feel like they are like the jim gordon alfreds of her like she needs a yolanda she needs rick tyler shiv is 25 nice yeah so they're all i mean freaking old girl's about to be 30 uh wildcat's about to be 30 next year oh, hottest girl on the show Crazy. You you feel better saying that knowing that she's 30 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I'm only 28. So I feel a lot better now that I can say, yeah. Um she's the hottest one. Yvette, Yvette Montrell. It's very rare when somebody is able to improve on the comic. 
but like we said again, this was John's rookie season, right? This is John's first run at all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, this is his debut. You mentioned that's even crazier that yeah, you don't know who this guy Jeff Johns is through a hole in the wall, but the first thing you're reading is this Stars and Stripes 15 issue, and it's many could you say know, that Jeff Johns probably didn't know who Jeff Johns was, you know, at the time of him writing that, and now. 20 years later, the, the the weight of all the things that he's done for DC, the knowledge of all these creators and writers and storylines, like I, I really like what they've done with the show. It is almost a natural evolution of what they did in the comic. But this, they had to add this amount of Stars and Stripes, uh, ISA, JSA, and legacy characters to make this work. No one does legacy characters like DC. We have a couple now with Sam Wilson and and uh, Miles Morales, all from like five years ago. You <laughs> know, like it wasn't that long ago when all, when we got like Woman Thor and Miles Morales and all that kind of stuff. But DC's been doing it with Dick Grayson and uh, Donna Troy, the Teen Titans, right? They, they those guys yep. are from the '80s. So it's like. I think maybe even the 70s. So they've been working on sidekicks and getting people, you know, to pass down mantles for way longer than Marvel has. And they really hit a sweet spot with this. And because it's a property, when I'm when I talk about like JSA and stuff like that, that no one really wants to touch, it's all for John's, right? Like it's all his playground. He could play around with any of these 1940s characters, like the Nebula Man who just shows up randomly and starts fighting, you know, this team, crazy, weird, convoluted backstory, you know, this other kind of stuff. The dude um, made a night lost in time famous. I want the Pegasus on Stargirl. Bring the Pegasus. Oh, not yes. just the horse. I want the whole damn thing. Put the wings no, on and everything. I need, yes, I need him riding in on Pegasus with the with Excalibur, full on chain mail. See his Iron Man helmet thing? <laughs> like when he calls for his helmet, it like comes up. Uh, Sir Justin, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but they, they do that. I remember your stripes. They do that uh, father twist, not twist, but like him showing up, all that, like almost shot for shot on the show, where it's like a knock on the door, doors open, hey, I'm Courtney's dad, kind of stuff. And um, oh, by the way, I need that locket because like it's very famous, and I gotta pawn it. Very valuable, and I need both of them to pawn it apparently. And uh, yeah, real shit. There's only two in the world. And then Pat surprised her with her car, like. Come on, come on there. Yeah, but yeah, but but Luke Wilson knocking out the biological father is that that actually genuinely made me cry. I might have to rewatch that. Actually, that I might have to watch the first season of Star Girl again with this book in mind, you know, to see where exactly they made their turns, their twists and turns. But I'm not gonna lie, it has me excited for Star Girl season two. I had no no background really on the character when I went to season one, but I still enjoyed the show. Um, I know you dug it a lot, uh, given the fact that we don't have many um, superhero media that takes place in high school. I don't think we have any not superhero media were, that takes place in high school. Like, not many where a girl can relate to. Like, if I was, a, if I was like, 30 years old and I was a father and I had, like, a, a, a young teenage girl or whatever, I would show her this show. I would sit her down and have her read this comic and, you know, she would probably relate to it and fall in love. Like, this is... This is stuff that girls could could turn to. Yeah. You know, I can turn to Mr. Miracle. I can turn to stuff like that. I want to I want a series, a property, a young girl can turn to and be like, I love comics and comic book superheroes because this is what I fell in love with. I want I want to see more star girls walking around at Comic-Con 
Do you? It, is it a comic that you would hand over to your niece? This is this is one hundred percent a comic I would give to my niece. One hundred percent. Okay, that's no. There's no better uh, stamp of approval than that, right there. I'd give her this, and I would give her JSA All Star, and I would say start here, and tell me what you'd like it because it's the. It would probably be the most surface level stuff you could walk in on. Yeah. Where all you got to do is explain, oh, these were characters from the 1940s that you don't really have to worry about. Just remember what they look like because you're you're going to see them again and again. Like, this isn't something where I give her Batman and have to sit down and now explain who what Catwoman's relationship to him is and how Alfred's relationship to him is, why this is important, why that's important. It's simple. Blonde girl moves to a new town, gets a new family, finds a belt, becomes a superhero. Yeah, I feel like, and it, even Blue Valley is not like a weird, you know, like I sometimes when things get ultra American, ultra, you know, uh, middle America kind of stuff, I'm, I'm I squint because I'm waiting for them to just, you know, glance over the fact that sometimes America is not the greatest, but this does give a down home apple pie feel to the, the entire series. There is a simpler, just happier maybe it's it's ignorance is bliss i don't know but i do dig blue valley in both instances i do dig slowing everything down we we read so many comics where there's this entity coming from another dimension and everything will crumble and everything will fall and sometimes you just got to beat up your robot principal in, a, in you know in your school you know open and, and then still go to school the next day and hope you do well on the test you know i mean there was literally an issue where they were where it starts off with with them with courtney and pat doing a mission yeah and then he's like i'm gonna go and finish this you got class in five minutes yeah yep and we both gotta go lie to your mom about cheerleading practice it's 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 wholesome i've called jeff johns one of the most wholesome writers i've ever read since i first discovered him he is it's just wholesome writing because it's not writing that makes you feel cold. It's not writing that stays with you six hours later and makes you sad. Like, damn, they really did that. It's nothing like that. No. This stuff that you could sit down and read while you're stuck in train traffic. Right. And like you said, if this is the last remnants, if if this fire that has been burning with Stargirl, if it was started with the embers that was the actual Courtney Johns, then this is the most loving tribute one could ever do for anyone, right? Is to instill, yeah, is to instill their, their essence into a character that is so likable, is so humble, is such a badass, is such a, you know, leads with their heart, leads with valor, leads with courage, um, you know, Stargirl will exist long after Jeff Johns is even gone. You understand? Yes. And that says so much about this memorial he that he's created. Sister, before he ever immortalized himself. Yeah. He came on with the debut of I'm going to immortalize my sister before I'm ever even this big time DC monolith. Like he just, he, and that's what's beautiful about it. That is what I love about this. Like, and as a brother, as the eldest of five siblings that has four sisters, mm -hmm. there's no way this Courtney Whitmore that we get in both the show and TV and the show and comic isn't who this woman was when she was around. Yeah. This, this character was created with someone that knows his sister by the back of his hand. And family it's in general. Yeah. Family and family dynamics in general. I think uh, John's definitely killed it with this.
Um, so we're going to hop off the DC wagon next week. Next week, we'll be covering the Eternals. I'm a bit nervous. There's been a lot of people talking about how this may not be the best Marvel I, film. I have not seen yet, and I'm just going to have to, my next day off, I'm just going to have to sit in theaters and just watch both. Of them. I don't even know if Shang-Chi is still in theaters. That I'll just, I guess I'll wait for Disney Plus on, but. I think it is still in theaters. I want to say it's I'm, still in theaters. I'm going to check because, you know, I, I have, I'm, I'm vaccinated, so I can go to theaters. People. You know, pirating sucks. Get your vaccine. Go to theaters. Fully vaxxed. Fully vaxxed. Um, so, yeah. We'll be back next week with the Eternals. Read more Stars and Stripes if you guys get a chance. Find out more about that character. Go to JSA. Read some of that stuff there. Um, and then watch Stargirl Seasons 1 and 2. We already have a full uh, Season 1 Review already recorded. Look at that, guys. Look at that. We're talking about Stargirl right now. Maybe this is your first episode that you're listening to. And you're like, I really hope they did something for Stargirl Season 1. Of course we did. And you know where it's at? ComicBookClick.com. The one stop for everything comic book click, including every episode of the Major Issues Podcast. It's over 200 episodes at this point. It has articles written by us. It has merchandise designed by us. It's the one place you can go to click it to support comic book click and get brought to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse where you can chuck in as little as what, 10 cents a day, $3 a month. That's the lowest tier that you can help support us and help cover some of the costs of production here. Um, we've been giving you guys ad free and uh you know just free in general content for the last i want to say three years so if you feel any uh urge to support us on our route to becoming the latest and greatest things to come to compass comic book media consider doing it at our patreon patreon.com slash cbc clubhouse or buy some merch buy yourself a comic book click t-shirt show your people your heart is on your sleeve and that the major issues podcast is on your mind Go out, go ahead. Or give yourself a new mask because a pandemic still exists and people still need masks, so we won't get out of this damn pandemic. There you go. You don't want a t-shirt, get a mask. Get a mask. We have a uh Dr. Manhattan social distancing before it was cool t-shirt. So if you want to grab one of those and uh you know pretend that you're on the moon, tired of humans and their ways, go ahead and pick up one of those. But yeah, consider supporting us on Patreon. Consider supporting us by buying some of our merchandise. But you can also rate and review us on iTunes because we're available wherever podcasts are found. Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, TuneFind, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere. If you listen, if you can listen to a podcast on it and some things that you don't really listen to podcasts on, but Google us. There's Quick- no more excuses, guys. We're on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook podcast. No, George, tell them there is literally no more excuses. This is the final, the final excuse has been has been yeah. checked off the list. Yeah, you can't. Oh, I don't know where to go to listen to to comic book click. Po- go to Facebook. It and drops we on Facebook. Literally now. have our podcasts. Yep, we're we're all over. I hear we get views from Pandora. You know, like I said, Spotify is a big thing there. Podbean is the actual, uh, the the company that we use to distribute this. But we are everywhere so go ahead and and you tell a friend to tell a friend or even consider giving us a review on itunes if you give us five stars we get recommended in pe- for people who are looking for a podcast like this and we're trying to build this comic book click army we're trying to build it with you guys you guys have been so awesome at growing the numbers up until this point but i think we can do better i think we can get get better maybe we'll start setting some goals here soon 
And um, you guys just keep spreading the word and spreading the love so we be can become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media because I've been to the future and we do do that. But if I do things the wrong way, then a satellite gets built and then all the kids want to kill their parents and it's a whole thing. I can't get into Don't the details of any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, then a Green Lantern movie gets made with Ryan Reynolds. It's terrible. So we got to make sure that we do things in the correct order so that we can come back here um and chat like we do this is one of the funnest things i get to do all week i get to do it with my friends here dan the comic man always you know a pleasure to be on with you and talking about star girl something that you dig you know this is the third star girl episode that we have had now yeah we did the pilot as an individual pilot. episode yeah which was another kind of like we lost an episode that day we decided to talk about the fight i can't remember what we lost but something got lost to the speed force and we're like uh, we'll just cover the star girl we cover dc news and the star girl pilot episode and you know with all that it's like that's that i'll never forget it seeing that first episode and it's just like who who gave you permission to be to good actually <laughs> give me something good like this and Tell not me only something give me something good, good. Like this, but give me something good that wasn't rooted in dour and existentialism it wasn't it, it wasn't the social commentary of the boys it wasn't the family drama of umbrella academy or just the self pessimism of pessimism of Zack snyder's justice league like it wasn't any of that it was just a legit woman who wanted to have a better family a girl that just wanted to know her father and ended up getting a father a boy that just wanted a brother and a guy that just wanted to make sure evil was stopped. Like, yeah, Stargirl was just, it's so freaking beautiful. So it's genuine. It. It's genuine. Yes. Read it, read it, watch it, love it. Like and, then, I do. and then come back in a couple of weeks because we will be covering season two of Stargirl. But first, The Eternals, which drops uh, this week. So, Whoo! If you're hearing this, do it. you know we're most likely we've already seen it, and we are hoping that it's something good. But that's next week. Only thing left to say is, my name is George Serrano, aka the Don, Dan, the comic book man, and this has been our Stars and Stripes recap and review. And remember, whether you want to call yourself Stripesy, the Star Spangled Kid, or Star Girl, whether you think that the family you have isn't as good as the family you should. Understand that legacy is a thing. Understand that opening your eyes and opening those windows of opportunity can change your life. Understand that sometimes home is where the heart is. And always remember that you, yes, you are worthy. 